When you turn on a scary movie, you expect to be frightened by what you see on screen. But for these movies, what happened behind the scenes was also the stuff of nightmares. Is this the case of simple coincidence, with large cast and crew falling victim to unfortunate but common tragedies? Or were these films cursed by their supernatural subject matter? This week's episode is Horror Movie Curses. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. This is one that I have been thinking about for a while as far as just in general movie curses and behind the scenes. And I was so grateful to the Patreon subscribers that are getting into it tier who voted on this and chose this topic. They did. This was actually going to be the October Patreon voted on topic. But due to the tragedy that happened on the set of Rust right around the same time we were going to release this, we thought it would be better to hold off for a while. So Just give us some time to time to breathe. Yeah, this month, three of our topics are Patreon getting into it, uh, voted on topics. We yeah, had we just what did we just do? Julius Jones, the trial. Julius, Julius Jones, Jones, and then this, and then this on the twenty second, the voting is currently underway to see what that one is. And no matter what is chosen, it's going to be a very fun Christmas themed episode. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, boy, we found some weird ones for folks <laughs> sure to vote did. on. So any of those three I'm excited about. I think you know the one I'm most excited about. Yeah. Uh, the the topic of that one might benefit from some manscaped. <laughs> I was just about to say those little, those little goblins might want some manscaped. <laughs> they might need to get manscaped. But uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a very um, listener's choice month. So mm-hmm. we like it because you guys have good taste. So we're down to cover these things. Uh, I have seen... All of these movies. Yep, have you seen same. all of these movies? Yeah, yeah. I have. Um, and it's, I feel like they're made like more eerie once you kind of know whether you think that it's truly cursed mm-hmm. or not. But once you know all the ins and outs and what, you know, what have you, it makes it almost scarier. Yeah. I want to go back and rewatch them having known all of this now because I haven't watched these in a minute. Specifically, The Omen, because that's the one that I remember the least. Mm-hmm. However, my mom said that movie is the scariest movie she's ever seen. Wow. Yeah. So really I want to say, oh man, I can't remember when it came out. We have it down here, but I want to say 1976. Okay, so I was born in 79. So that was like a couple years before I was born. So. I'm not going to say that she thought she was having the Antichrist, but I'm also not going to say she was didn't think that. And then when she people. had me, she realized she was right. <laughs> Actually, I was a very down. pleasant baby and child. My rebellious stage didn't hit until my teenage years. You weren't rolling around on a little tricycle terrorizing people. You were no, like in I the back of a Mustang. Uh, I was not causing my nannies to uh, take their own lives by jumping off of buildings and whatnot. Ooh. A lot yeah. of these movies also just have 
cursed and horrific imagery in them. Like mm-hmm. watching either watching clips of them or going back and looking at still frames from the films, it's just does something to your psyche seeing that many, even though it is fake, but then now knowing some of the scenes, it really was all too real, despite mm-hmm. it being a fiction film, that it it like burns your brain. So I can see how once you start getting exposed to that day in, day out, again, even knowing, okay, this is a movie we're all working on together, you may be predisposed to think like, this is cursed. Like, of course this happened because your brain is just looking for evil. Mm -hmm. And you're just scared all the time. Your Mm -hmm. character is scared. It's so, you know, I mean, for many actors, they are either method actors or just kind of the lines between like, all right, cut. And then to when Mm -hmm. you're going about your day, kind of get blurred so if you're always on edge eight hours a day when you're filming something you're gonna be on edge when you get off too so you know um a light kind of goes out in your room or all of a sudden your radio comes on you're like what the fuck is going on you're like this place is fucking cursed Mm -hmm. and then again too it's like when somebody brings a ouija board somewhere once they start draw you know you're drawing all these satanic images and stuff i mean are you giving power to some Mm -hmm. dark sinister energy that then's gonna Rear its ugly head. Very true. Very I also tragic think, results. I think um, older horror movies hit different. Oh, yeah. Like, there's they're just raw. something about... Yeah, they're raw, the grainy imagery. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I mean... And I know that that's not even intentional. That's just how film mm-hmm. looked back then. But it gives it, like, an effect that uh, is impactful for me. Oh, yeah. And like Psycho even, you know, that's oh, yeah. one of the oldest ones. But just the because you had to be so uh, there wasn't special effects, mm-hmm. you know, there was only so much you could do with practical effects. So much was done with just like building tension, releasing tension, building it higher. Really, So older and movies really, can be yeah. eerie as fuck. Really interesting camera shots to mm-hmm. get the effect that you want because, yeah, you don't have all that that stuff that we have nowadays. So, yeah. I um, I was going to watch The Omen last night, but it was like one in the morning. I'm like, this would be a terrible idea. I don't <laughs> like, need to I watch The Omen at 1 a.m. when I'm trying to go to bed. It's like, but I've I, uh, done I enough to, to my brain. <laughs> yeah. Tommy loves horror movies, so I'll get him to watch this one with me. Well, I am Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. For centuries, moviegoers have delighted in immersing themselves in the on-screen nightmares of the horror genre. Evolutionary psychologists say these types of films tap into our primal fears and allow for us to safely mentally rehearse how we would handle the dangers being depicted on the screen. We've learned to never separate from the group when taking nighttime strolls through the woods, not to go knocking on the door of a rundown house in the middle of the Texas backwoods, and if your creepy neighbors seem obsessed with your newborn baby, it's probably time to move. The writing, directing, and acting must all come together to form an effectively crafted horror film. But what happens when the horrors don't stop when the director yells, Cut! I think this is also why people like true crime podcasts. We're asked that Mm -hmm. question all the time, specifically why women do, because the demographic for I, uh, I Know Our Show is... About 84% women, usually even higher than that. So, and I think this is this is why, because it allows us to safely kind of have a plan of action for if we were to encounter a similar terrifying situation of like, okay, well, this didn't work for them because 
they ended up, you know, not being able to get away from the serial killer. So I would do something different. And you can kind of like play it out in while it's still anxiety inducing. It's just in your mind. So you know that like you're safe. And I think that's why people like horror movies too. Also, people just like being scared. It's that thrill of like, like you said, that tension of building up, but you know that you are in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. But you can still suspend reality to to kind of, you know, for that immersive, effective ex- experience. Well, it's the reason why people love roller coasters yeah. but don't love being in, like, a traffic accident. Exactly. The roller coaster, in theory, you know, this is safe. I am buckled up. This has been tested. There are safety regulations. Um, so I think it's the same thing, like you said, with true crime or with horror movies. that you, And to the extent that it is a almost anxiety-relieving because you do tell yourself, okay, now that I've gone through it, I am prepared. It's why mm-hmm. kids do fire drills in school. Yeah. Why they brought that trailer where they set it did a fake fire to the parking lot of my grade school. We talked yeah. about that work. Yes. <laughs> they were like, you're in a bedroom. Now it's filling with smoke. What do you do? It was a little bit traumatic at the time, but we knew the firemen were on the other th- side. And then after that, you're like, oh, I can sleep soundly knowing if I wake up and there's smoke coming out from under the door, I know exactly what to do. I think that's very effective, though. I will say, when you and I were at a recent wine night yes, and a, another friend there who's a teacher was talking about... Mm-hmm. These school shooter drills they have to do. My anxiety listening to her talk about those Mm -hmm. through the roof. I can't. And I know they're crucial and and necessary for kids to go through. But I was like, if I had to do that as a 14-year-old, I would be the rest of the day. I'd be a fucking wreck. Like, what does that do to you? Because they did say that you have, they're in the band hall and they have to go into an area with like a garage door and lock the garage door. And part of it is the kids not yelling. And so they have to bang on the garage door to startle the kids mm-hmm. to see if they would yell, which, like you said, it's got an important reason to it. I wish we didn't have to have those. Sure. But all, like, what is the psychological toll then that it is taking? Again, because even though you know, okay, I know this is fake. It still does get your adrenaline up. Yeah, and I think it course. still mimics that. You're standing yeah. there in the dark. And all huddled together and out of nowhere, a teacher bangs on the outside of it and is like yelling stuff like, yeah, Yeah. open up. We know you're in there. Like, I mean, that's terrifying, Mm -hmm. even if you know it's it's fake. And I mean, but when you're put in those situations on, I don't know how regularly they do those things, but in the event you ever had to really do it, you are then prepared. Yeah, just like true. watching these these movies or listening to other people's tragic tales, like you feel a bit more prepared. Yeah, you tell yourself, "I know what I would do." So, mm-hmm. yeah. Based on the novel of the same name by author William Blatty, The Exorcist is the tale of a young girl named Reagan, who, after playing with a Ouija board, becomes possessed by the devil. When it was released, the film horrified audiences and haunted their dreams. But it seemed in real life, the production of the movie itself was possessed by some unseen powerful force. This is a very classic scary movie. Mm -hmm. I remember many shots from it well. Mm -hmm. It's still, um, again, I need to rewatch it. I believe it's the second Exorcist or maybe the third that I found especially scary. It's when I know there's a big scene at a hospital. Oh, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Oh, the first I remember watching that one with my dad. And there is a scene where a um, 
figure walks through like um the hallway at the hospital and it's like an end of the hall shot and it's, it's very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm creeping myself up. <laughs> Don't like it. I I just know this from all the uh comedy parodies. There's uh, yeah, all for, the pea soup references. Very yeah, there's a ton of those. One major setback for production was a raging fire that burned down the house where the film was set. Creepily enough, the only room that didn't burn was the room that belonged to the character Reagan, the child possessed by the demon. After a thorough investigation, it was determined that the set was not the victim of arson and had no electrical problems that would have caused the blaze. Rather, the inferno had occurred after a bird flew into a circuit box. Was it a devil bird? Don't birds cause a lot of plane accidents, too? My sister was on a plane. They were taking off, and a bunch of birds flew into it, and they landed. Of course, they got coupons to go on another plane ride, but I'm pretty sure after you get off that one, you're like, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they, luckily, nothing happened, but that's what happened with Sully Sullenberger when he, the miracle on the Hudson, the bunch of geese flew into the yeah. airplane engine. Geese I, don't survive, but this is hopefully everyone anything. on the plane does. My Leanne and I were talking about something, and she texted me a gif of Fabio. You remember him? <laughs> oh, I yes. can't believe it's yeah. like it was yesterday. And I was like, every time anybody mentions Fabio, my mom will go, "You know, he got hit in the face by a bird on a roller coaster." <laughs> <laughs> and so I sent. Leanne I did not a, know that. Thank yes. you, Nancy, for that so fun they had, trivia. <laughs> they had, uh, had created this Fabio roller. It wasn't a Fabio. It was a roller coaster called the Chariot, and Fabio and three women dressed as Greek goddesses go on the roller coaster as like the inaugural ride, and they take off. And the video's great, and he looks like he's having a hoot, and he comes back, and his face is bloodied, and he's like scowling, and all the the three Greek goddesses are like looking on, concerned, like touching his arm, and then the video shows him later on talking to the news, and he's like, "This is going to happen again. It's an accident waiting to happen," and he's a goo. Flew and hit him in the face. Mid there were, mid ride. A big ass What's goose, a goose got, doing? Like that? The, they're that's wild. He was like, it wasn't just me. There are going to be children. This is, this thing needs <laughs> oh, to be no. taken offline. I wonder to if there was like video. I think there was like a pond nearby, maybe. But also, it was him and three people, three other people. That goose was a targeted attack. Yeah, that, that goose, goose knew what it was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, birds are extremely dangerous. They <laughs> are. Apparently. They're mean too. And there's a conspiracy that they're not real and that they're all government drones. So maybe that's why the government did it. <laughs> oh, the government was after Fabio. Mm-hmm. Well, due to the bizarre nature of the fire, the producers had Reverend Birmingham, a priest who was serving as a technical advisor, perform a special blessing on the set. This apparently did not work as the rest of production was besieged by further problems. Dude, imagine you're Reverend Birmingham, you try to bless it, and shit just goes down worse, and you're like, oh, God, it's mad at me. (laughs) You just, yeah, you got to hang up up that, uh, your little, I don't know what they're called. Your little collar, but I was trying to think of the the things that Catholic priests wear. Yeah, those robes. Yeah, but the things go over the robe. You know, on Midnight Mass, when he wears the gold Um, one. You're not supposed to. Wear the gold one? No, well... Watch Midnight Mass. I've I've seen it. I've I finished it. I'm not going to give any spoilers. No spoilers. One iconic scene shows Ellen Burstyn, who played Reagan's mother, thrown across the room. Her face contorts in pain as she screams from her injuries. These screams are genuine because she was in pain, having permanently injured her back when she fell. 
Burstyn noticed the director kept rolling despite her injury, which caused her to shout, Turn the fucking camera off! The director still used the shot in the final cut of the film. In addition to her injury, an on-set carpenter lost his thumb in an accident. Later in another incident, a lighting technician lost his toe. God, this man bless kept him. rolling. <laughs> you know, I kind of get it, though, because that's how you get, like, the best re- honest reactions. It's already happened, so you <laughs> can't just... undo it. You can't undo it. You you just get the one shot, you, you, you and then you immediately help. Because, like, I don't know how how long it went on, but... He he got the the part that was happening that he could not have prevented even by having yelled cut, which is the scream. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's why movies like this are so effective and believable is because people are yeah. really getting hurt on yeah. them. We'll hear some of the other incidents where they're screaming and it was like, yeah, they had a reason to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you're right, though, because if once you that's happened, she's probably going to get carted away and they can't shoot anymore. So that, you know, the injury is not all for naught because mm-hmm. they at least salvaged it. At the same time, though, I get I would also be like, turn the fucking camera off because back mm-hmm. pain, that pain, back pain, tooth pain. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't. Nothing deal with else those. worse. Mm-hmm. Fingers and toes weren't the only things lost. In total, the cast and crew suffered nine deaths. Which is an enormous amount of deaths. According to actress Ellen Burstyn. One of the on-set technicians died, as did a night watchman. Two of the actors, Max von Sita and star Linda Blair, both lost family members during filming. Just a month before the film's release, Jack McGowan, who played Burke Dinnings in the film, died from flu complications. He also died in the film at the hands of the young, possessed child, Reagan. A yeah, lot. nine's a lot. I don't know what's if there's a normal amount, but I think nine is way over that if there is. Well, as we learned in the end, there's probably not record of it if there is yeah. more than that. But yeah, that's uh, it's like everybody's coming to set, and it's like, did, oh, these are some like you know bereavement flowers for, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, for Ellen, no, actually for Linda. Like, there's so many people going through so many tragedies all yeah. at once. After its release, the film continued to spread chaos. Throughout the world, audience members allegedly vomited and passed out during screenings. Famed preacher Billy Graham declared the film was cursed. After a screening in Rome, lightning struck the enormous cross on a nearby church, causing the cross to topple down from the place it had occupied for 400 years prior to that night. Billy Graham is cursed. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) One bright spot was that 15-year-old Linda Blair was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her portrayal of Reagan. Sadly, her acting may have been too convincing. She received death threats and had to be accompanied by bodyguards for six months after the film's debut. How are you going to threaten a 15-year-old girl because she's really good at acting? Oh, God. Do you think she's legitimately possessed? Do you think she really killed a priest? What's going on here? Have you seen a movie before? (laughs) But that happens so much with with movies, and it's, people can't separate. They can't. I mean, and then it t- it's taken to the extreme, and that's when you get like stalkers and stuff mm-hmm. that kill actors for a role they played, or because they think that they have a relationship with the character that they're playing on TV mm-hmm. or, or the screen. So, yeah, it's that's the dark, seedy, scary side of of 
acting that nobody wants to encounter. For real, yeah. Especially, I mean, at least she got bodyguards, but she's 15. 15, you're already in over your head as far as, mm-hmm. like, you're, I mean, maybe not in over your head, but you're stressed the fuck out. That's, I mean, being an actor at any age is stressful. But when you're 15 and you got all your normal 15-year-old drama to deal with, too, and, and then now you've got death threats, nah. The movie is not actually cursed, according to author William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel The Exorcist and adapted his work into the film's screenplay. He believes the rumors began when a reporter visited set after some of the production mishaps and asked the director, William Friedkin, whether the movie was cursed. Blatty told the Austin American Statesman, Friedkin must have answered in the affirmative because that's how the whole thing started. When the 2004 prequel to the film was delayed by various cast and crew changes, executives were once again asking whether the film was plagued by a dark force. Blatty dismissed this idea, telling the paper, Curse? There's no curse. Never was. When you've been shooting for over a year, it's always nice to have demons to blame. William Blatty is full of fucking shade, and I'm here for it. (laughs) You know, I mean... He could have gone the other way and been like, yeah, yeah, this film is cursed. I have made no mistakes, and <laughs> it is the demons at, at work. But I appreciate that he's like, nah, things just happen. We Production has been stalled for reasons <laughs> out of our control. <laughs> and this is just, when you got a huge cast and crew, there's going to be things that happen. True. But nine, that is a lot. And that at some point, you do start to wonder is this just a coincidence or is, you know, it bad energy leading to more bad energy? Even if it's not like a curse, like there's a vibe and an energy on set. And maybe mm-hmm. that affects like how you then act outside of set, which causes some sort of weird domino effect. Well, I think a demon doesn't know whether you're saying the incantation is a line in a movie or trying to, you don't you think, know, you don't summon think they're the demon. like, or Stand drawing. down, everyone. This is, they're just acting. They're like, and cut. And the demon's like, and sucks back down to hell. They're like, they said cut. It was, it turns out it was a line the whole time. Released on June 6, 1976, The Omen tells the story of the Antichrist, who has taken the form of an angelic looking young boy named Damien Thorne. Directed by Richard Donner, who went on to head up such fun films as The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, and Scrooged, The Omen was a decidedly dark film that featured graphic on-scene deaths at the hands of the demonic youngster. God, Scrooge is the best Christmas movie. Oh, hands down. On record. Damien, and I apologize to any listeners who are a Damien or know a Damien, but if your kid is named Damien, there's a good chance he's the Antichrist. I mean, have you seen South Park? That is that kid, a demonic sounding it's a name. Devil. No, that's a devil name. Isn't Damien also the kid in Children of the Corn? I'm not sure. I don't that's one I have not seen. I think it is. That is well, just it's it's and I've known a Damien. He was very nice. <laughs> so Damien's not all Damien's. Nineteen seventy six Damien, you're just you're making a statement. You're making yeah. a stand. Mm-hmm. The troubles for those attached to the film started almost from the beginning. Two months before production was to begin, star Gregory Peck, a longtime Hollywood icon, suffered a major loss when his beloved son died by suicide. Then as Peck was headed from Los Angeles to London to begin filming, the plane he was riding on was struck by lightning. 
This isn't too shocking, as about 7,000 planes are struck by lightning every year in the U.S., and planes are engineered to survive a shock without impacting flight. Still, it is a startling incident, especially when combined with the fact that producer Mace Neufeld's plane was also struck on another occasion. Then, writer David Seltzer, who was a passenger on a third plane, was also struck, according to Bloody Disgusting. When Peck needed to board a plane later on during production, he canceled at the last minute. He would later learn that plane crashed and killed all passengers on board. I don't want to get struck by lightning, ever. Never. Not on ground and not in an airplane. But they're huge things. They're, you know, whatever, 30 They're huge metal things pounds. flying through the air. It's probably going to happen. It's Obviously, 7,000 times a year. But, you know, that's it's engineered for it. It's like they have, it's not that they're like geese, lightning. Oh, <laughs> they're no. They're not engineered like, for geese. They are engineered for lightning. <laughs> fuck a goose, man. Damn. <laughs> Uh, the uh, geese can take down an airplane, but not Fabio. Yeah, no. <laughs> he got off of that roller coaster with pride. Uh, but yeah, so it's in this case, you know, it's it happens a lot. But to three people all connected to the exact same project, mm-hmm. that's sus. Yeah the the creepiest thing is this whole like final destination thing. You cancel your flight, and then you learn everyone died on that flight. And then you start to wonder, if I had been on that flight, would it not have happened? Like, would me maybe causing a little bit of a delay getting on board or putting up my bags been just enough time to where we uh, avoided something like that? Mm-hmm. Or you were on it and you, you died. So, yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It just You just always wonder. Oh, yeah. In one famous scene... Rottweilers viciously attack one of the characters. However, the attack wasn't just for the camera. The trainers in charge of the animals suffered injuries when the Rottweilers got through their protective gear and actually made contact with flesh and bone. Another scene features baboons going wild on two characters as they scream inside a car. This was actually achieved by sticking one real baboon inside the car with the actors. This caused the actress, Lee Rimmick, to be completely horrified. So her on-camera screams were just as real as they seemed. The actors made it out safely, but the trainer in charge of the baboons suffered an unthinkable tragedy. According to producer Harvey Bernard, He was killed the day after we shot there. He was killed by a tiger. It grabbed him by the head and it killed him instantly. God, Jesus. This is chaos. They stick a baboon in a car. The scene is horrific. Yeah. And you see, she truly... Probably fears for her life because she thinks if goddamn baboons about to start wailing on her face. They, from what I've heard, can be quite vicious. I'm assuming the ones on this movie set were trained. Here's the thing, though. I got some issues with animals on movie sets. Uh, In this case, where they're being upset because they think that their baboon buddy is trapped inside a car with a lady who's screaming. Everyone's screaming. They're put inside a small car and a person is just screaming their head off. That's got to make them feel anxiety. You can't explain to a baboon, this is just a scene. This is all fake. All they know is like fight or flight and something's going going down. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I... I know there's laws in place that, like, are supposed to protect animals on movie sets. But at the end of the day, they're also animals. And yeah. they're unpredictable. And they also 
don't understand what the hell's going on some of the time. I mean, this lion ripped this guy's head off. Well, it was a tiger, and it, well, tiger. At least wasn't, it was at least not on set. That was separately when he went back to, I guess, uh, his where he works, his place of business. But it just shows you, like with Tiger King or anything, mm-hmm. they can't be tamed. I think you think, oh, they can be tamed. I got this. It's a little bit of a, probably an ego thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I Honestly... I don't think nowadays they would have let them use the one baboon as like a lure for the other ones. They probably would be like, okay, we're going to get the baboon super excited by, you know, hanging treats, you know, above their heads or like in the car. So it looks like their happy face looks similar to their scary face. But I don't think nowadays with the amount of whistleblowers, like people paying attention, you would be able to essentially torture these animals yeah and or at least emotionally upset them for sure just for to get a good shot but in this yeah. case he's like eh, i don't know make them think that their their baboon friend is trapped inside mm-hmm. jane could all have something to say about this or they could just shoot it where there's not even a person in the car and just by the way it's edited it looks as if mm-hmm. the baboon and the person are in the same car or they would be cgi yeah or baboons. they wouldn't even use real animals exactly Animal attacks were not the only danger near the set. The hotel that director Richard Donner was staying at in London suffered a bombing incident just moments after he and his wife drove off in a taxi cab one evening. The pair allegedly thought the sound was an earthquake and only later learned it was a bombing in the lobby where they had just been. On another evening, Gregory Peck and other members of the crew were set to meet at a restaurant for dinner. Sadly, the restaurant suffered a bombing just hours before Peck and his crew arrived for the reservation. Airplane a- lightning strikes, bombings, multiple bombings. It's it's unusual incidents happening multiple times. Just one time a lightning strike happening and one time a place being bombed is bizarre. But then when those things happen more than once, ultra bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, I think they said when Richard Donner and his wife, I mean, there's not going to be an earthquake in London, but they're from L.A. So they hear this like right. big rumble and your brain just goes, oh, oh just another earthquake. Yeah. We can't get... And then they're like, no, no, no. That was a bombing. Yeah. Attack. The IRA so I, bombed yeah. the, the mm-hmm. hotel. One famous shot in the film involves a car rolling down a hill and decapitating one of the characters. Special effects supervisor John Richardson helped design the shot which was filmed from five different angles to give the audience a huge scare. Tragically, a year after the stunt was shot, Richardson was driving with his fiancée in Germany when the pair was in a head-on crash. The wheel of the car came up through the interior and decapitated Richardson's fiancée. According to Showbiz Cheat Sheet, Richardson claims he saw a sign stating that the town of Amman was 66.6 kilometers away from the location of the crash. A tragedy by all accounts, but those things on top of that, that's just, again, it's like coincidence. And if so, it is a extremely eerie and upsetting coincidence. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I think me personally, I think it is a coincidence. I think it is a very bizarre one, though, that you would wonder why of all places would this have happened here Mm -hmm. or had i not filmed been a part of the film the omen would i have even noticed something like this but again like if you because this is a year after you know of all the things that that happened while filming maybe your brain is still making those connections like you think things could still happen 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, and like you said, your eyes are just, you, you know, you may be more likely to notice those things. Mm-hmm. The original film wasn't the only one to suffer Damien's curse. During the filming of the remake in 2006, over 13,500 feet of film was lost, including footage showing Damien's 666 birthmark. What's more, Peter Postlewaite, the actor playing priest Father Brennan in the remake, lost his brother during filming. According to Bloody Disgusting, as yet another sign of the devil making an appearance to the cast, Postal Weight suffered this tragic loss after drawing three sixes in a row while playing a game of cards. Yeah. I mean, I would be, like, when I was a kid, we went to Jack in the Box one time, and then I can't remember, we ordered, like, some tacos or something, and the total was 666, and my mom was like, hell no, add me on a carrot cake. That's God telling me I need to order something else. Oh, dang. She's like, I'm not paying 666. And so I think I would notice if I drew three sixes in a row, but, like, would Peter necessarily notice that had he Mm -hmm. not been, you know, and then you, like, make those connections. You should. You should keep an eye out all the time for the devil. I've gotten 666 on a bill, like a something checking out before, but I just Hell let no, it ride. Add let it ride. <laughs> you let it ride? I did. I'm not giving my, mm-mm. <laughs> but I would notice, especially now because of just being into creepy stuff in the podcast, I would definitely, yeah. I, like I, I noticed when uh, license plates have 666 or something on it. I saw Which, a license plate last night. Someone had spray painted I think that was nefarious. They spray painted their license plate black. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to do that. Well, I don't know. I'm no cop, but I noted it. <laughs> yes. Made a note. The old neighborhood watch up here. Mm-hmm. What's happening? This house is clean. They're here. The Spielberg produced supernatural horror film Poltergeist was released in 1982 and quotes from the movie immediately weaved their way into the cultural vernacular. The film was a commercial and critical success, but that didn't stop rumors from flying that the film was actually cursed. I also love all the rumors, because we watch all these like movie breakdowns, that Steven Spielberg actually secretly directed it, and that the director was really just kind of a stand-in for Steven Spielberg. So Toby Hooper was kind of like a proxy. Mm. I like these, like, because it was all, it was like contractual that Steven Spielberg couldn't direct a movie while he was directing something else. So he ghost, he ghost directed. He ghost directed. Yeah. <laughs> and he ghost directed a ghost movie. I One iconic scene in the film involves Joe Beth Williams, who plays the mom of the family, swimming in a muddy swimming pool. As skeletons crop up around her, she screams at each one convincingly, leading the audience to believe they were real. Later, she told Reddit in an AMA. When we were shooting, I thought the skeletons were fake. I thought the prop department made them. But later, I found out they were real skeletons bought very cheaply. It really grossed me out. Was the disrespectful use of these real skeletons to blame for the slew of mishaps and deaths that tormented the cast and crew? As a result of their participation in the film, this That's scene is classic. It scared the bejesus out of me. Oh, this it's movie's, so scary. Yes, this movie still scares me. This movie, this movie got me. Even clips of the movie, you start to get like heart mm-hmm. rate raised, start mm-hmm. to sweat. 
Craig T. Nelson crushes it. Oh, Dad so from Troop good. Beverly Hills. Yes. Coach, he's crushing yes. it. Love him. Um, but yeah, she does a particularly great job in this. And now when you know that the skeletons are real, you're like, oh, she must have known at the time and it really freaked her out. No, she's just that good of an actress. And then mm-hmm. later screamed again when she found out she'd been fucking duped by the gross ass. I don't know if it was the prop department. I guess. Whoever told her it was fine the, or whoever who's told them selling, it was fine. Who's selling skeletons to people? <laughs> what do you say? I can get those. you a toe by three o'clock. I can get you <laughs> skeleton get your skeleton by 11 30 one of the most famously horrifying scenes of the horror flick is when oliver robbins who played the family's son robbie was choked by the creepy clown doll in his room as the animatronic clown wrapped its arms around oliver's throat director toby hooper and producer steven spielberg watched and marveled at how realistically the boy reacted to the attack when oliver's face began to turn blue Spielberg noticed and jumped in to save the child by pulling the clown off of him. Was it a case of animatronics gone wrong or a truly cursed clown doll trying to kill the young actor? Well, if you've ever seen the clown doll, it's cursed as fuck. You know, that thing has got a demon spirit in it or something. scared the shit out of me as a kid when it's on the the chair and then it's not (laughs) on the chair. And then he looks under the bed. Oh, my God. I'm freaking myself out. This movie still, I'm telling you, those older movies hit different. And this is still, like, this movie is scarier to me than any movie I've seen in the past decade. Of or current about, horror films. What was that one we watched? Which one? The, we separately watched it. The wild ass one that we just watched. Oh, uh, shit. Malignant. What was that called? Malignant. Malignant. <laughs> okay, that's the best movie ever made. I mean, that's the best movie ever made. But as far as scaring me, <laughs> yeah, this uh, Poltergeist was still more effective. And I mean, this is a truly an evil ass cursed you know spirit inside this clown that the only person strong and brave enough to save him is steven spielberg <laughs> i mean he's a legend for many reasons and saving children from demonic clown dolls is just one of them i saw steven spielberg in real life at oh, south by southwest oh, in 2018 gosh. i was at the um ready player one premiere and i knew that some of the cast and crew would come out because that south by like they always have mm-hmm. like john krasinski came out for a quiet place it was a dope ass year to go to south by um and when the ready player went well it like messed up in the middle of the movie we had to like sit for 15 minutes but eventually at the end the cast and crew came out and i was on the first row of like a section maybe like five rows back so i was probably like 30 feet from steven spielberg i didn't think i would give a shit but something about him just being the icon that he is yeah. i was just like oh my god it's david spielberg. i would have fangirled out over i was steven like spielberg, so sure. i was shocked at how i mean I also got to see Bill Murray up close, and it made him laugh. It was a whole thing. We got to do a whole South by take, uh, oh. breakdown later. Uh, but yeah, it was it's Steven Spielberg. I'm like, yeah, you would save a kid's life. You would. Look oh, at you. Yeah. You could do anything. Yeah, he can. And he has. <laughs> Several tragic deaths plagued the actors of this film franchise. After the release of the first film, 22-year-old Dominic Dunn was murdered by her estranged ex-boyfriend, John Thomas Sweeney, who had been abusive during their relationship. He was convicted, but only served two and a half years in jail of a six-year sentence. Her father, Dominic Dunn, wrote an article called Justice, a Father's Account of the Trial of His Daughter's Killer for Vanity Fair, covering his daughter's murder in the subsequent trial. After the article was published, Dominic shifted the focus of his writing career to reporting on high-profile trials, including the trials of O.J. Simpson and the Menendez brothers. Sweeney, who now goes by John Mora, 
has returned to his previous career as a chef, according to Slate. I went down a hole. Dominic Dunn, I read the, that article. It's tragic. Um, Laura Goff g- yes. gave us the book. So I mean, we could probably do a whole deep dive on that whole scenario, like why he got such a short jail sentence. Mm-hmm. But that article is gut-wrenching, yeah. and it's some of the best nonfiction writing and just puts you in the moment in every moment. And that's why I think I love nonfiction writing is because you get to pretty much be somebody's like buddy as they go. Th- I mean, of course, he was doing it alone, but it's almost like you're standing in the room with them. And this whole case is just. And because it's written no from her father's perspective Ugh. is, I mean, it adds a whole new many layers to it. The Vanity Fair article is fantastic. Lara Goff, our dear friend Lara Goff and listener of the show, when we started this podcast, I remember I her the- emailing me that Vanity Fair article and was like, you've got you've to cover this. So we she should. gave us the book. I have the book. Yeah. It's, it's I haven't a read wild it yet, Laura. Story. I'm sorry. Full disclosure. I apologize. <laughs> but we will. Uh, but yeah, because there's a lot going on of the justice system and like how he managed to get away with mm-hmm. only a six-year sentence, how he managed to get out so early, then he changed his name. So, and now and, he's you know, working as a chef. Just gets to go about and live his life after yeah. something so horrific. On September 14th, 1985, at the age of 60, Julian Beck, who played the frightening Reverend Kane, the ghostly antagonist in Poltergeist 2, died of cancer during the film's post-production. Although many point to this as yet another instance of the Poltergeist curse, Beck had actually been diagnosed with stomach cancer before he even auditioned for and accepted the role. His thin appearance and sucking eyes, which reportedly caused child actor Heather O'Rourke to cry when first seeing him, was actually due to the ravages of his disease. This was a pretty sad one. I mean, he he took the role knowing that, you know, he was actively dying, but well, still absolutely crushed it yeah. and was uh, just did an excellent job. But, yeah, that's it's hard whenever. I mean, I guess if it's something that you really love, it's not really work and you want to keep working. Mm-hmm. And you know that it's probably going to be your last role. Mm-hmm. Heather stole moviegoers' hearts as the adorable and formidable Carol Ann in all three of the initial films. Before the third film began production, Heather fell ill with what was diagnosed as Crohn's disease. She was put on medication that caused her cheeks to appear puffy, but still continued with filming. However, after the third film wrapped shooting, she became sick with flu-like symptoms. It was revealed she was actually suffering from sepsis due to an intestinal blockage. The septic shock caused cardiac arrest, and Heather died at just 12 years old. It's really hard to see her in the third movie because... Her face is super puffy. She's yeah. like inflamed due to this medicine. And now knowing what they know, you know, knowing what we all know now that she was very sick, mm-hmm. but still, again, it's like still giving her best to the role. But if all, it's like, like we said with any of these things, of if only I didn't get on the airplane or if only we had taken her to another doctor, mm-hmm. if only, if only, I mean, you just tell yourself all these things, like I would have done something differently. But yeah. this was one of those where they said, you know, we did the best we could, and it wasn't until after she passed away that they were able to say, oh, well, we would have had to done a surgery we didn't even know to do mm-hmm. to find any of this. Actor Richard Lawson, who played one of the paranormal investigators in the first film, was able to escape death due to his work on the franchise. Lawson was headed on a fateful flight to Cleveland when a ticket agent recognized him from his acting work. As a gesture of goodwill, Lawson gave the man an autograph. Since he was a fan, the kind agent upgraded the actor to first class. After taking off from LaGuardia, the plane crashed into the dark, icy waters, 
leaving passengers strapped into their seats, floating upside down. In total, 27 people died on that flight. Later, Lawson found out that at least one person who was in his originally assigned row died while Lawson survived. Decades later, Lawson went on to marry Tina Knowles and became stepdad to Beyonce. This is the opposite of a curse is what I'm hearing. This is, man, all of the things that would have changed had he not been recognized by that man. Mm-hmm. Like that agent was working that night. Mm-hmm. Richard Lawson is a, apparently a nice person. Then he wasn't like, I'm just trying to get on a plane, buddy. Fuck off. Right. You know, being like, oh, thank you so much. It's a I good really lesson in no matter who you are and how big you are, be nice to people. Always. You never know what it could get you. And then you survive. And later on, you get to be married to Tina and Beyonce's stepdad. And more so, importantly, you're Beyonce's stepdad. Yeah, that's the most important of all. Amazing. Blue Ivy's step granddad. Yes. The ghosts in the script weren't the only poltergeists hanging around. During her Reddit AMA, Jo Beth Williams, who played the mom in the film, relayed a story about the rented apartment she stayed in while filming. I began to notice that every night when I would come home from shooting, exhausted, fried, the pictures on the walls would be crooked, and I would straighten them. And the next day I would come in, and the pictures would be crooked again. So that always made me feel a little nervous about the place I was staying in. But finally, I realized it was when I slammed the door closed to leave that the pictures would shift because I slammed the door. She blamed the vibes on the set for the feeling of a curse. Because we were supposed to be scared so much, I think everybody's nerves were hypersensitive. Just like we were saying, like, you can't be (laughs) that ramped up all the time and then just go home and you're like, oh, yeah, this is like, oh, the fucking pictures are cursed. And you're like, it's me. It was me the whole time. This is also the same thing my mom told me when my dolls were moving. What, she, she blamed said, she blamed the air conditioner for moving them. <laughs> the dolls are fucking haunted. <laughs> I and they still went straight to the attic. Yes, yeah, lock them up. The alleged curse followed the film through sequels and remakes. Gil Keenan, the director of the 2015 remake, was asked during his AMA, "Did anything scary or unnerving happen on set while filming?" Keenan replied. The house that I rented during filming was straight up legit haunted by a female spirit dressed in black. I became aware of her within the first few days of staying in the house. And only after I left did I receive a call from the previous owner who had moved back in, who was terrified by the goings on in the house and wanted to see if I had experienced any of it. So it was an incredible real life inspiration for filming that followed me home. Well, I mean, she definitely was there. It didn't follow me back to Los Angeles, but it followed me from set back to where I was sleeping during filming. You just can't. Get, sometimes you can't clock out. That's right. Work, work, work follows He's you like, home. Um, I'm actually in the director's <laughs> guild. Um, so if I'm going to be working from home, I'm going to actually need compensation yeah. in time and a half because this is more than a 12-hour I agreed day. to be haunted on set, but not when Only. I came home. I'm going to file a grievance with the union. (laughs) Considered the most cursed hit movie ever made by Vanity Fair, horror movie icon Rosemary's Baby was released in 1968. Played by Mia Farrow, the film follows Rosemary Woodhouse, a young pregnant woman who suspects her bizarre new neighbors are members of a satanic cult who want to eventually steal her baby to use in their demonic rituals. As terrifying as this premise sounds, the real-life horrors suffered by the actors were even scarier. This movie is fucked up. It's so scary. Stuff with pregnancy. I've never been pregnant, but stuff with pregnancy movies where there's horror movies where there's mm-hmm. something happens. 
having to do it's just so I think it's being so vulnerable and it yeah. just ugh. And she Mia Farrow crushes this role. Yes, and she wasn't even their first uh their first choice but after they saw her audition several times they agreed like no this she was meant for this role she i was. have not watched this since having kids i bet it would affect me differently now though i mean it 100%. was it was scary even back when i saw it years ago mm-hmm. sydney blackmer who played the leader of the satanic cult once declared on set no good will come of this hail satan business according to mental floss producer william castle agreed and later said he believed the film was cursed after he was stricken with such severe gallstones that they had to be surgically removed. During his time in the hospital, he said he often hallucinated scenes from the movie, and at one point even yelled out, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife! According to Vanity Fair. That's a, uh, your nurse is a saint. God. For... She's like, like, what is my happening? My name is actually Kathy. Could you please stop <laughs> shouting at I me? I don't have this a knife. This isn't a knife. Please. This is a catheter. Others that worked on the production suffered untimely deaths, including the composer of the film, Christoph Kometa, who died after an accidental fall off a rocky cliff left him in a coma. Eerily, this was the same method the witches used to kill Rosemary's suspicious friend in the book written by Ira Levin. Yeah. Well, like you said, yet another... Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's uh, the question all of it's like all the butterfly effect, another yeah. movie to refer to where you're like, OK, well, if I hadn't have done that movie, it's not that the movie caused it, but maybe like you would have gone hiking a month earlier or a month later yeah. or with a friend or with a different, you know, like you just couldn't it's you can't obviously can't go back and change it. But there is definitely when you see tragedy all associated kind of around one nexus like one linchpin in the middle you're like oh well if i wasn't associated with that would that have made a difference Mm -hmm. or final destination style another movie reference it was it bound to happen i mean we're all gonna die right yeah Yeah, we're all gonna die it's just a matter of time or (laughs) happy wednesday you're gonna die (laughs) (laughs) or can you cheat it we're gonna find uh, out in a future episode uh, foreshadowing to a future little little teaser to a future episode Arguably the most infamous real-life tragedy of the film was the death of Sharon Tate, wife of director Roman Polanski. Tate, who was pregnant at the time, was brutally murdered in her Hollywood home on August 8, 1969, by several members of the Manson family. Polanski had last seen his wife the month before her death. Having no way of knowing the horrific fate she would soon meet, Polanski later wrote in his autobiography that he had had a grotesque thought. The last time he was with Sharon. You will never see her again. At the crime scene, Helter Skelter, the name of a Beatles song on the White Album, had been scrawled in blood on one of the walls. Twelve years later, John Lennon was assassinated across the street from the Dakota, where Rosemary's Baby was filmed. couple of things about this. Fuck Roman Polanski. Fuck He's him real hard. He's, uh, I, we had to just mention him briefly as Bain the director. From America. But he is a monster, and he straight up fled America to avoid prosecution. And did he get sent back to have to deal with it? No, I think the country he specifically went to was not going to extradite him. But it's one of those, like, he can only go to movie premieres in, like, France. Or, like, he doesn't come to the States Mm -hmm. anymore. Last I heard. I don't keep a lot of tabs on Roman Polanski. Because fuck that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So such good. amazing film. So good. Covers like it's such an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. Still heart wrenching in the reality of what happened. Also, it's completely unfair that I was never alive at the same time as John Lennon. It's pretty rude. You know, I think about that a lot. That's the why that I mean. So unnecessary. No one's no one's an angel. But as a little girl, I was very obsessed with John Lennon as Mm -hmm. like a pre Backstreet Boys days. I spoke in a British accent for like a solid year. Was very obsessed with Help and a Hard Day's Night, and John was my favorite Beatle. And I had the little hat that matched, you know, the same one he had in Hard Day's Night and everything. And I accidentally learned that he was dead based on a VH1 behind the music special. Oh no! My mom had to like console me. It was like 1995. And they're like, you the did not, John- you, so you operated no during your mm-hmm. time of being introduced to the Beatles and being into them. You thought that he was alive that entire yes, time. I had no idea that he was dead. Oh, and then wow. there was like VH1 behind the music the day John Lennon died. And I turned around to my mom and I was like, what? And she was like, oh God, I knew this day would come. She didn't right. tell you? No, she See, hadn't told me before. And I, there was no, I, I knew wasn't... from the beginning because my well, dad, this was huge Beatles fan. Oh, so yeah, you could... You had to rely on your parents to tell you the truth. And I was I, only watching, like, Help and A Hard Day's Night, like, fictional movies and then, like, listening to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get this biography. I was little. I was probably, like, maybe eight or ten. I knew he out. was dead because my dad was a huge Beatles fan and was very much into the conspiracy that um, of Paul having been murdered, and it was. I oh, believe you watched the documentary, and God. now you think the same. But there was like all these little that Easter right. eggs that made people think it was real. Like in Abbey Road, he doesn't have shoes on, and if you play part of it, um, I forget which song it is, but the end it says, "I buried Paul. John." Says, "I buried Paul." Paul's dead. Yeah. So my father Listen, was very that into is- that. He, my father was very into like conspiracy theories like that i told you he also thought like elvis was still alive so i didn't i didn't know when i was little i knew elvis was dead but Mm -hmm. somehow i suspended that knowledge and legitimately thought i was going to marry him i was like seven and thought yes this is a good idea i'll marry a man in his mid-30s I thought I was going to marry Burt Convy, and then my mom had to break the news to me that Burt Convy was dead. He was a uh, game show host, yeah, uh, in the 1960s. Uh, good looking. We were big... we some a weird thing we have in common. We both were uh, in love with like dead, much older celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your dad was right. Paul McCartney is not Paul McCartney. He's a Canadian pharmacist. Well, Paul <laughs> McCartney. By if it is Paul McCartney. Has got a lot of issues now and is also oh, no. problematic. So maybe oh, it would be better if he was a Canadian pharmacist. Um, and then also, there's a really amazing short story written by BJ Novak about the premise is that Elvis just faked his own death and became an Elvis impersonator to oh, like yeah. live out his days. And it's a, that whole it's called One More Thing Stories and Other Stories by BJ Novak, one of my favorite short story collections. It's phenomenal. But that I choose to believe that that like Elvis got a happy ending that he got to retire and like just sing Elvis songs, but not be mobbed by people. I think that's why my dad chose to believe it, too. And it was always kind of like I couldn't tell if he honestly believed it or he just wanted to believe it. And it was kind of, you know, like a fun thing. But I think on some level, he probably he wanted to believe it so bad that he kind of tricked himself into like, this mm-hmm. could this could be a thing. Yeah, you like you want him to have he was he gave so much to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Castle believed all of these horrors were not mere coincidences, that the film was cursed, saying, The story of Rosemary's baby was happening in real life. Witches, all of them, were casting their spell, and I was becoming one of the principal players. Between untimely cast and crew deaths, illnesses, injuries, on-set mishaps, and eerie events that seemed to follow people home, these films all certainly appear to be cursed. However, Hollywood is like many other industries, and that it is no stranger to on-the-job incidents. The Associated Press conducted an investigation in 2016, tallying on-set deaths and injuries in the movie business since 1990. The findings showed that 43 people have died on set, while another 150 have been left with life-altering injuries. Most troubling of all, the AP had to do some serious digging to find those numbers, as many had not been properly documented in investigation records or reported to the Federal Safety Administration, OSHA. Though many on-set incidents are reported in the media, like the recent tragedy on the Alec Baldwin film, Rust, or the 1993 death of Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow, that is not always the case. While horror films may seem to benefit from the tragedies associated with them, as it plays into the ominous tone of the film, most producers wish to keep accidents and mishaps a secret. Film critic and journalist Stephen Farber told the AP, I think it's always been something that's been swept under the rug. Megastar producer and director J.J. Abrams wants to keep mishaps off his set entirely. Abrams told the AP that on-set safety is the most important consideration. Accidents happen, and so there's that category. Then there are accidents waiting to happen. And I think the film crews have done an extraordinary job preventing the accidents waiting to happen. Major studios and the various labor unions associated with the filmmaking industry have made on-set safety a priority by conducting new training programs and regular industry meetings focused on improved safety. And this is, of course, now in the media more than ever with the Rust tragedy recently. Mm -hmm. And I think even more laws will change as far as what's required and somebody checklist and uh, multiple eyes on things to make sure that all those things that you're supposed to do to keep people safe are getting done. And also like feeling empowered as a lower level crew member mm -hmm. to say, I don't care who the producer is. I don't care what the studio is. This stuff needs to be because the it's like, well, my career is going to be ruined. Well, yes. Or you or somebody else on the set could lose their life. Yeah. So I feel like the folks on the rest set have seemed to be empowered of you know, submitting text messages or texting people offset to say like, hey, I want to like whistleblow. I want people to be aware that this this is going on on set. And so hopefully the whole sweeping under the rug and Stephen Farber um, is the journalist that really covered the Twilight Zone tragedy. Yeah, that was crazy, too. Um, where there was like an issue with, uh, again, the, the director was going too hard, like, OK, let's just do this, even though it's breaking the rules, it's going to be for a better shot, like having someone. Um, that is going to follow the story, expose what happened, you know, point the finger where the liability lies, regardless of how famous a director is. I think it takes stuff like that mm -hmm. for people to be, okay, empowered. Like, I can stand up, I can say something, and I won't be punished for it. And I think we as a society and consumers should say, we're not going to patronize movies where you guys blacklist somebody who was just whistleblowing when something was going on on set. And we want safe movies. Again, use the fucking computer to get the shot. Yeah. Like, you don't need to torture somebody. You don't need to torture an animal. You don't need to risk people's lives. It's just a movie. We love them. We love storytelling. I love 
I'm marrying a filmmaker. This man loves movies. I have to watch movies and movie breakdowns all the time. I've grown to love it. But a human life is more important. Absolutely. There's no movie that's worth a human life being taken. And then that same vein, boycotting movies where directors have a reputation for going too hard and not being Mm -hmm. safe or other types of misconduct on set. And big actors, and I think we like seeing like Scarlett Johansson standing up to Disney. That's more mm-hmm. of like a contractual thing. But saying, no, we stand with these actors who are going to say, I'm not going to work with a director that doesn't take my safety seriously. Mm-hmm. or And doesn't take, especially if you're the actor that you have that more, the draw, you have the more of the swagger that you can say, oh, hell no. I, what are y'all doing over there? No, I'm, I'm not going to work on a set that does something like mm-hmm. that. Where we as consumers say... We favor the actors and the directors who take crew pri- safety as a priority. Then again, people are going to go where the money goes. It's like so, so cynical of me to say that, <laughs> but if you're, you're like, wrong, we don't buy though. tickets. No, it's like we don't buy tickets to movies that have you know directors that put people in danger. That's like one of the only ways we can all kind of act to hopefully see uh, these these changes happening. But it sounds like the industry is focused on that. Mm-hmm. Of course, not all of these horrible incidents occurred on set. Once the cameras stop rolling, if there is some sinister force out to punish filmmakers for covering a dark subject, there may not be any earthly way to stop it. In these cases, life imitating art is not poetic and beautiful, but rather viciously dark and haunting. So what do we think? Some of them, it seems like there was, you know, it's like too much of a coincidence, but as with anything, is are are they predisposed to looking out for those connections to the demonic Mm -hmm. when it would otherwise just be a simple tragedy. Yeah. I think that maybe some bad energy, you know, Mm -hmm. if you get too much of that going on in one place that can affect things because it affects how you may act outside of work and offset. And like I said, that domino effect of you never know where that can lead. I think that when you get big cast and crews together, especially like, big franchises and they're filmed over years there's gonna be a lot of stuff that goes on that's just statistics nine is certainly a lot Mm -hmm. that's but you know hopefully with more and more safety measures and precautions and stuff then less stuff like that will happen and movies won't have that type of reputation and there's a lot of movies that aren't horror movies that also have a reputation for being cursed i think People look to it, one, because, you know, it's morbidly fun to draw those types of conclusions. Mm-hmm. Also, it kind of um, gives people a nice, like, well, this this happened because this movie was cursed. Our movie is not cursed, so it's not mm-hmm. going to happen on this set. You know, kind of like we said, like, you watch these to understand how you would act in that situation, on um, mm-hmm. the opposite, you're like, well, I don't need to worry about that because, you know, we're we're super safe on our set. So yeah. it's almost like um, you protect yourself from the thought of, like, this could happen to me at my job with this guise of, like, oh, that's because it happened because of a curse. And you're like, yeah, we're not fucking with demons on this mm-hmm, set, so we'll mm-hmm. all be okay. Well, and hopefully if you're – everybody's following the rules and the safety measures. And it sounds like, for the most part, you know, that's – hopefully – more and more, uh, we'll see increased safety measures and decreased um, incidents. But you can't stop those goddamn birds. So if the goose <laughs> is going to get you, it's going to get you. So that's true. No matter no amount of industry meetings is going to no stop a goose if it wants are. to hit Fabio in the face. <laughs> I gotta look up that video 
immediately. As soon as we're done, I'm looking up that video. I'll send you a link. Please do. I'll put it, Please and do. I'll put it at the very top of the show notes page so you all oh, can see it Oh, so well. everyone, you just go to the show notes and you too can see Fabio. Sinisterhood.com. Uh, the, There's a button at the top that says show notes. The aftermath of his Don't geese do. encounter on a roller coaster. <laughs> Prepare yourself. <laughs> he lived. The goose, we're not sure. Oh, gosh. It's probably a, a robot. Tragedy. It flew back to home base to be That's like, true. I it's got a drone. Him. So, yeah, it was just, it got the data it needed for the government, and then it flew back. <laughs> Well, you have a live show coming up, don't you? An improv show? I do. I have one improv show, the last of the year, December 17th at Dallas Comedy Club. I'm going to be part of Hot Dish. If you come to Hot Dish, it's a mix and mingle group, a new cast every time. Mm -hmm. Wheels off. It's wild times. A comedian will tell like (laughs) a three-minute story, and then we just go hard. And it's just wild shit. So I played a a gator that didn't yes. want my child to leave the swamp and move to the big city in the last one we did. It was, I was Meghan Markle and I talked with a British accent. Mm-hmm. So that was embarrassing because <laughs> she's not British. So whoops. And never know what's going to happen. we had some listeners come and we yeah. always have listeners come to the show. So it's always fun to, it's fun to meet say afterwards. hi to them afterwards. Yeah. Well, I will not be there for that because I got a, a family thing, but um, go see Heather because Thank it's you. bound to be a good time for sure. We love providing Sinister to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes. I mean, you're going to miss us talking about Manscaped balls and sticking stuff in us with a yard lap. But if you're like, man, this is a lot of ads, smash that Patreon subscription button at the So Sinister tier. Blammo. No more ads. No more ads. You also get a Sinisterhood sticker if you're ruling the airwaves tier. Membership to the exclusive Patreon Facebook group, if also for ruling the airwaves. You get a shout out on the show. Monthly bonus mini-sode. Got some Murdoch updates. Mm-hmm. And you get patron exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Segments, Judge Christie, True Crime Headlines we're about to do, about to come out, uh, talking about Love Has Won updates. Mm-hmm. So we got all kinds of fun stuff. And a local Dallas judge and some some alleged mishaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll hop on occasionally, and we're also hosting monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. Oh, we got a Q&A coming up next. It's going to be Wednesday, December 15th. 15th. And then and our live stream is the following night on the 16th, where... The people have two more days to finish voting on what we're going to cover on that one. Right now, the wheel is winning. So wheel is in the lead. That's going to be fun. They're, and those are at 8 p.m. Central Time, and they're always so much fun. For our patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option of paying pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. If you select this option, you get a free month of membership. It's a great gift if you're like, man, I love Sinisterhood, and so does my best friend. We should both 
get Sinister Ed Patreon subscriptions, and then we have even more content to discuss and hang out. Uh, if you truly love someone, you'll get them a Sinister Ed Patreon subscription, and the annual thing is the way to go. You just sign up, use your own email address, and you change it to theirs later. There's not really a gift option, but you can kind of get around it, mm-hmm. or just give them like a little voucher that's like, I'll sign you up for Patreon if you give me this voucher back. Super cute. And what a fun thing if you were in the 10 or 25, if you're in Ruling the Airwaves or getting into it, and then you get to participate in the Q&As or live stream in the chats together so then you can like chat with like your actual bestie and then you can talk about it outside it's so much fun to be had and it's like a wine of the month club uh because you know it's like it's something every month it's not Mm -hmm. it's like an experiential gift it's those are the gifts i give i like those are the tommy and i decided years ago we do experiences or like buy like this year, might begin a new TV. Like we just like we something we'll use. Yes, or and it's something that's like that we really want. So I like experiences. The whole that's year. a good one. It's a gift that keeps on giving. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign offs to hear your shout out and a new little thing we're doing called our thank you corner. Yes, we appreciate all of you, and we have. So many thank yous. Um, if you're wondering what to stick in your loved one's stocking or what to shove under the tree or just give them something because you appreciate them, there's nothing as good as Sinisterhood merchandise. If you want some cool swag to deck yourself out, deck your own halls, or to bless someone that you know and love, head to Sinisterhood.com, click shop in the top banner, and we got things like mugs, t-shirts, totes, and clothes for your kiddos. Everybody in Sinisterhood gear, take your family Christmas photos, <gasps> send them out. It's oh gr- my gosh. It's the greatest thing. It'll be amazing. That's Sinisterhood.com, click on shop in the top We've, banner. I cannot wait to see... <laughs> family do a christmas card if somebody does a christmas card everybody is in all sinisterhood clothes we will share that on our social media 100 if you do that if you send it out to more than 10 family members i'll personally call you (laughs) oh there you go also please send one to our p.o box yes well see i don't want you to have to send two but if you want to each (laughs) us to each have one then send two if not we'll have to fight over it or we'll just rip it in half like, um, what was that story in the Bible? Turn. You want? To- <laughs> is it? I don't think it's the Bible where they ripped the baby up. No, it's, different- it's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. I mean, is it? What's this guy's name? Solomon. Is that in the Bible? I think that's the Bible. Is that just a fable? Well, Bible so is, is the Bible. Hardcore. Sorry, it is the season. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where can we find you? I can be found on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Melissa Clausen. Amanda Scacia. Kathy Turner. Roberta Reed, Dylan Sedlicek, Jessica Downing, Annika Bushra, Brianna Dunn, Jenny Lee Swanner. What is up? We went to high school together. Oh, buddy. Awesome. What's How up, you doing? Jenny Lee? 
Melinda Sutley, Ashlyn Sepulveda, Carolina, Jennifer Kaufman, Amanda, Janine M. Tyrone, Tori Thomas, Olivia Hughes, Desiree Farmer, Jude Temple, Melly B., Paige, Vicki Yakawuk, AJ Georger, Kristen Payne, Jessica, Brianna Kelly, Rachel Hitt, Mary Jacqueline, Gigi, Grace Ensminger, Jordan Jakubielski, Iana, Trish Conover, Christina, Grace Adams, Kristen Weaver, Savannah Soto, Kristen Blosser, Daisy Ornelas, Lucy Young, Lindsay Boone, Alana Peters, Salem Novak, Lauren Baker, Lacey E., Gab, Trinati Shires, Sunny Ramirez, Corinne Hall, Rochelle, Haley Fight, Anne Fuenzalita, Jamie, Carly Garcia, Sari Francis, Letty, Lane Taylor, Diana M. Hornback, Ashlyn Force, Tori Peters, Lori Pierce, Erica Hayek, Beth Growney, Samuel Brent, Lindsay Rocio, Rachel Shanks. What's up, Rachel? Heather Turley, Leilani M., Carolyn Reese, Theodore Lee, Rebecca Bedeker, Alana Peterson, Sandra Duran, Trina Colleen Bartlett, Emily Tom Hollister, Sarah Essay, Seth Reams, and Mariana Cosplays. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We sincerely appreciate it. We hope we got your names right. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. And now is for our new segment, The Thank You Corner. We appreciate you all so much for all the lovely things you give us. It's not necessary, but it is definitely appreciated. We tried very hard to keep up with all the many wonderful gifts we got on tour. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was in charge of this mostly. So if, this is, if you're not on the list, it's on me. I, I, I've... No, it's not. It's on both of us. But we, okay. Heather was very smart. And when people, when you guys were so nice to give us stuff, she would write your names on the bag or, or something that it came in. So... We tried really hard to keep track of everything. If yours isn't listed here, please let us know so we can properly thank you because we appreciate all of you so, so much. Um, In Denver, Jenny gave us almond toffee. So good. Chelsea Berman of Fresh Baked Goods gave us hand-decorated cookies, including gluten-free ones that I demolished. They were so very cute. Denver Comedy Works, thank you for our hoodies. Yes, and in Salt Lake City, Kaden, Kaden gave us a horrified board game, which we're fixing to play at our game night we have coming up. Super pumped about that. Jessica, who was from Winnemucca, and I know how to say that because of the mug she gave us. She gave us a bunch of stuff, necklace, candy, a book on the city. It was amazing. I still have some of those, a very few of those kisses left, the Hershey kisses. Mm. Angie gave us some amazing sinister head tumblers with the logo wrapped around it. It was very impressive. Awesome. Ev gave us some Polish candy. And Ev, thank you so much for participating in the Just Christie segment. That was so also much fun. Ev was fun. the nacho. Nacho. <laughs> yes. Maggie gave us chocolate covered pretzels, churro toffee, pumpkin spice toffee. The toffee was so good. We ate so much good candy and stuff <laughs> we ate after well. these shows. Yes. <laughs> And Emily, thank you for the pumpkin mask. We were both really stoked about those uh, and wore them all throughout the holiday season, the Halloween season. Um, in San Antonio, Brittany and Melissa, you guys gave us Chupacabra shirts and El Pitayo gift cards. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Bo from Lifestyle Choices on Etsy gave us nail polish and custom jewelry with petal and the goose. They were so cute. 
So impressive. Uh, Sarah and Abby from Until the Very End podcast gave us some really cool stuff from Cincinnati, and I have a very cute Loveland Frogman sticker on my laptop now that um, that was from them. So I thank you all. And Kelsey Enos gave us our Bigfoot BFF necklace, which – I didn't know they made these things, and I, now I don't know how I live my life without it. So sweet <laughs> so of Kelsey. Cute. Kelsey also no, came to multiple shows. So thank, thank you. you so much. And had that badass alien sweater. I'm still mm-hmm. one. I still want one. Um, and Houston Plum Pretty gave us some ghost earrings. They're amazing. Uh, I think you can get them on Etsy. Shirley gave me a Shroot Farms mug for my birthday. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Paige Branham gave us spicy snack mix and gluten-free sweet potato chips. I will tell you. I ate both tubs of that spicy snack mix (laughs) in the hotel. I shared it, but I straight up ate all of it that night. It was so good. It did not make it back to Dallas. Addison, thank you so much for the candle for my birthday. And Felicia Cummins, also thank you so much for the candle and the stickers. Really appreciate it. And if we got our uh, cryptid tarot deck and our nail stickers, please, uh, we have a video of us using them on our Patreon. It's pretty ridiculous. It's it's great. The Crypto Tarot deck, I want one of those for Christmas so bad. In Dallas, Sarah Air, y'all, I got an In-N-Out canister. Uh, This thing is incredible. It's sitting right next to me right now. It's like a foot tall. It's got the In-N-Out logo. Both Tommy and I were like, we're keeping our toilet paper in this because it only <laughs> it only makes sense. She also made us scarves, knitted us scarves, and you got some gluten-free Oreos. Those things, there's like three of them left. I tried to space them out, and they have uh, they have barely made it. <laughs> They're well, almost over. Savor those last three. Uh, Lauren from Ponder, Texas, gave us a Metroplex Monsters book, so we're going to dig through there for some future topics. Daisy gave me a red hat with white writing on it, and I had to ask if it was a MAGA hat. It is not. <laughs> it is a CeCe's Pizza Buffet hat, and I spent so much time at CeCe's as a kid, and this is like the throwback hat that the managers used to wear. It is amazing. I have to say, I'm not going to wear it in public because it from far away it looks like a MAGA hat, so I can't take that risk, but thank you. Also... I know we got, um, I got some cookies and a wine straw, and I found the card in the bag, but the card was not signed. So thank you for our wine straws. We very much appreciate that. Thank you so much. Kelsey Hubbard, thank you for the earrings, the apple butter, and the pepper jelly. She also later emailed to say, you guys, I wrote the wrong date on those. They are not expired. They are totally fine. And I said, <laughs> guess what? We've already eaten them, and that's just... how little we care about food safety. <laughs> We're just... like, this is really good. We don't care what year this came from. <laughs> like, honestly, I thought it was like wine because it said apple butter 2020, and I was like, oh, like, it must be better if you sit mm-hmm. it around for a year, and I was just spreading it on shit. <laughs> and then she's like, just so you know, it's not expired. I was like, this shit expires? Like, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but like you said, did not, just disregarded it. Disregarded mm-hmm. the date completely. We also got some really cute cross stitches. You got a Christy, a Judge Christy cross stitch, oh, and I, I have it. one in here that says "Keep your cults off of Hawaii." Uh, but uh, we have them in our hands, and I couldn't write on them, so I apologize. I did not write down who gave us that, but thank you so much. Um, it is displayed proudly in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, we have also gotten some mailing gifts. I have, have sitting here with me from a quote from a Judge Christy that says, "The house is haunted as a matter of law." I haven't seen that yet. Well. This is what happens when I'm the one that checks the mailbox. Oh, I just stuck it get, in the studio. Oh, we got to We got to <laughs> See, now we each have a studio. So now we got to start divvying up the gifts. Well, come on over. You can go shop in this place. Or, or it'll be like we share custody. And one week <laughs> I get that. And the next week you can have it. That's right. We'll trade <laughs> off. Um, also, Callie, thank you so much for my birthday card. I really appreciate it. Elle uh, sent us some Alec candle extinguishers because we mentioned that we leave our candle. I mentioned that I constantly leave my candles burning. No, I... Only- I I did the other day. And yes, these, 
extinguish it's like magic and it keeps you safe at the same time it's only a matter of time (laughs) yes taylor ondich thank you so much for the t-shirt and the mothman pin which says mothman ate my entire ass at a denny's and it's (laughs) fantastic also uh peppermint lip balm Mm -hmm. she sent some to me and ella i'm saving ella's for when she um i'm not using it even though this lipstick this lip balm is the bomb should be called lip balm because it's so good and tastes so good and Talia McAllister, thank you so much for the cryptids book. We um, we love a good cryptid, and this one is chock full of them. So Beautiful. we're going to be coming at you with some new ones. New cryptids. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much. Like Heather said, it's so it's not necessary for you to ever give us anything. But when you do, we appreciate it so much, and we appreciate you guys. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Take care and keep it creepy. <laughs> Sinister Who